electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in FAST, a crypto crisis of confidence. Binance walking away from a deal with FTX. The coin universe cratering on the news. Bitcoin dropping to a two-year low. Will this be a crash and burn for Sam Bankman-Fried, who just a few months ago was the darling of the digital currency world? Plus, markets sliding in the wake of the crypto collapse and the hangover for the midterms. Will tomorrow's CPI be a third strike for the bulls? Hoping for a year-end rally. We'll debate that. And later, may a couple of sorts and major layoffs to come for Meta, plus drilling down on what is next for the energy trade. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Julie Beal will join us in just moments. We start off, though, with the latest developments on FTX, the crypto exchange's token plunging even more after Binance said it is walking away from its deal to buy the company's non-U.S. assets. It's a stunning fall from grace for FTX's founder. It was just in August when Sam Bankman-Fried was on the cover of Fortune magazine with the headline, The Next Warren Buffett. Now, there was a question mark and there is a caveat because it says, or could he crash and burn? Hmm. I guess it was the latter. Impressions. In late September, FTX was raising funds at a valuation of $32 billion. Kate Rooney's got the latest on this one. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Binance's deal to buy FTX is officially off the table in a statement. The company is saying, quote, as a result of corporate due diligence, as well as the latest news reports regarding mishandled customer funds and alleged U.S. agency investigations, we have decided that we will not pursue the potential acquisition of FTX.com. The company goes on to say in the beginning, our hope was to be able to support FTX's customers to provide liquidity. But the issues are beyond our control or ability to help. And this had been a non-binding letter of intent, but Binance had been in the middle of that due diligence after announcing yesterday that it intended to acquire FTX.com, the international side of the business, due to what they called a liquidity crunch. No response from FTX, but Reuters reporting that Sam Bankman-Fried has reached out to employees via Slack and said that Binance, <clears throat> excuse me, had not previously expressed reservations about the deal. He also reportedly told staff that he would understand if they wanted to step away from the company, and he said he was deeply sorry for his role in the situation. We haven't gotten any official statement from FTX. Bloomberg, though, reporting FTX investors are told that without more capital, the company is likely to face bankruptcy. And then the Journal saying that FTX faces a liquidity shortfall of up to $8 billion. The question now, what happens to FTX's customer assets? Unclear if there is any other backstop or someone out there with a big enough balance sheet and risk appetite to now bail out FTX. This company had raised money from some of the biggest names in venture capital, from SoftBank to BlackRock. We showed that list just a minute ago. Investors I'm talking to, you, though, say they expect their equity to be wiped out in this deal. $32 billion valuation now. They're writing it off as a loss. Melissa, back to you. Um, Kate, they've got a constellation of companies that they've invested in. Um, and I'm wondering what happens to those companies, particularly if they were relying on FTX in some way for regular capital injections, uh, which means that they wouldn't have capital to operate on an ongoing basis. They had done a ton of acquisitions and Sam Bankman-Fried, ironically, had been the one who was bailing out a lot of these companies, Voyager, 
comes to mind. BlockFi, those deals have not officially signed, so I'm told they likely now will not go through. It's up in the air what happens to those customer assets. Both of those companies had been going through bankruptcy. So that's one side of it. The company also has FTX Ventures, so they've done a lot of venture investing. They may need to go and tap the secondary markets and look for liquidity there. So that's something some of the VC investors in Silicon Valley are a bit worried about. Well, they need to look to sell their stakes. And then they've got some of these liquid tokens, Solana, um, which we're showing right there, down 45%. Uh, FTX in general and Alameda, the quant hedge fund or quant trading firm, had been big big, uh, backers of Solana. It's hitting the price. You can see it there. So there's now fears about different counterparties and some of the liquidity risks still in the markets. You can see it hitting Bitcoin as well today. It was down around 15,000 last time I checked. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Um, what's interesting is how this is hitting the markets. For an asset class that's supposed to be independent and move independently, it sure isn't these days. In today's session, for instance, when Bitcoin hit its lows, we saw the markets hit session lows. This happened also in yesterday's session. So what's What's, what's the concern here, Tim? Well, think? so from, from a hedge fund community and from a counterparty community and even from a broker-dealer community, everybody's wondering who on the other side is someone that has exposure. And, and to the extent that I think you know, an exchange is very different and a broker-dealer is very different as far as we know, especially when you consider where a, a lot of these institutions have been at odds with Bitcoin and have not necessarily been freely partaking in it. And I would say as it trickled all the way through into a lot of their retail and their wealth management customers. Uh, I think you're in a dynamic here where you look at some of the levered exposure that went on and how quickly just a little bit of leverage in your portfolio and how it can turn into a cancer that absolutely destroys people. You go back to things like even in recent history like Archaicos and where you know there were a handful of hedge funds and then the domino effect on a multitude of other securities that some of these hedge funds had held that needed to be liquidated. So um, obviously you know you think about the, the direct linkage to a Coinbase and to some of these other places that claim they have no exposure really to Alameda and that actually, you know, outside of what's going on in the crypto winter, which just turned into an Arctic winter. um, I think those are things that continue to to um, hang over markets here at a time when if you'd ask people where liquidity conditions have been so far in a bear market that we've had with a ton of volatility, liquidity has been fine to this point. And that's why this is the kind of an event that has everybody questioning where we are. Karen. So I, I was thinking that most of the sell-off was actually what happened last night. There was sort of an expectation of a big red wave that really didn't end up happening, and so there was that. And then I think there's some fear about what's going to be tomorrow, right? Are we going to see if we get a really hot number? Then we're going to be back in this, you know, who knows how long or how high they're raised. And then I think some of this. But this is a, it's a big move down for Bitcoin, but relative to other moves that it ha- has had, it's not that big. I think, though, the, uh, once, you, once you're a financial institution and there starts to be trouble, you don't have a lot of time at all. Um, so I actually, I, I find this whole FTX Binance thing fascinating. I have a conspiracy theory we were talking about before the right. show, which I actually thought Binance, which sort of helped this get this run on the bank yeah, going, I mean, kind been, of, it's, and then, you know, put out this olive branch of a letter of intent. A letter of intent, a letter of intent gets you nothing. Means nothing. They, we maybe will, maybe won't. And I don't even know if they could do a deal. I don't know if antitrust would let them do a deal if they wanted to. Instead, let FTX fail, I think is the thinking. And yes, it will hurt us, Binance, in the short term, but we'll survive and there'll be no competitor. Right. 
so they'll be stronger in the end. Stronger in the end. Despite the short-term pain. Yeah. Um, Grasso, what do you make of the moves in the market today? And, and do you think that it's mostly this fear about who's on the other side of this in terms of exposure? Or is it midterms? It seemed like, you know, in the beginning of the day when, when everybody thought that Binance was in fact going to come to the rescue of FTX, that the markets weren't really moving too, too much um, on the midterms. Yeah, I, I, think it's a, I think it's all of that, right? So I think it's FTX. I think it's Disney. I think it's the red wave that didn't happen to the degree, uh, as Karen stated. But I, but I also think just on the red wave thing, I think that people don't understand it's going to be gridlock regardless. So I think it's a lack of understanding, or maybe it's algos. I, I, I don't know. Because it didn't happen to the extent, I think people are confusing it. What rallies markets is gridlock. There's going to be gridlock either way. So I think that's where the market sort of got it wrong. I, I do believe, uh, you know, Tim's correct. Once people start thinking there's going to be an illiquid event or a liquidity event, they start to sell what they can. So if you have equities, you're going to sell that and you get nervous if you have exposure to any of the other cryptocurrencies. So I think it's a host of things. I think it's three things. Um, but I think it's still a buying opportunity going into year end. Because once people realize there's gridlock, the market's going to rally again. Right. Um, unless you think this is um, a barometer of a risk appetite in the market. And so this, this other leg downward for crypto universe overall is, is a bad sign for a market that is supposed to seasonally go higher at this time of year, Julie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think crypto really hasn't met up to all of its promises. If you just look across the landscape, it is supposed to be decentralized. Well, actually, it's extremely centralized if you look at it. Um, it's supposed to be untethered to the rest of the economy, and it's, it clearly isn't. I don't think there's a single corporate board right now that's asking itself, hey, how do we how do we accept Bitcoin as legal tender, right? So I think that the broader acceptance of it is questionable at best. And what I worry about is how many young investors who got really excited about you know, being involved in stocks, the meme stocks and crypto are getting really burned right now on both sides of that. And that that's really just going to put a bad taste in their mouth. And those are the future investors that we're kind of all depending on. Yeah, yeah I, part. I, I think that's right. And we, we've been talking over the last couple of years how you've essentially refranchised a bunch of retail investors that, that have been empowered. And it was there was a lot of dynamics. By the way, look at your AMC stock and you know, look at your GameStop. I mean, some of this is, is all flowing together. One of the good things about this for markets is one of the last shoes um, that at least, well, one of a number of shoes that need to drop is we need to see speculation out of this market if we're ever, right. ever going to put in a bottom. This was the epicenter of speculation. This was a place where uh, I do think there was a lot of excess money. I do think there were people that were margin to the hilt. And if you think about the volatility inherent in these assets, um, I think the, the regulatory dynamic is also fascinating because you're getting into this whole part of to what extent were these things actually securities that they were trading. Uh, and this is where the SEC very much cares. Were they trading securities? And if you're an exchange, what's the relationship? And where is there actually an inherent conflict on some side in trading underlying securities that actually you have a, a role not only in, in, in creating, but actually facilitating liquidity on. So um, this is why we've always said more regulation is good for Bitcoin and crypto. It's a little ironic that the people that have been seen as some of the, the Wild West gunslingers are the ones saying, hey, come on, bring it. Where the regulators been on this stuff? Because, in fact, this has been the Wild West. Yeah. For more on the shockwaves from the FTX 
um, difficulty. Let's bring in Dave Ripley, Chief Operating Officer and incoming CEO of Kraken, which is a crypto exchange. Um, Dave, great to have you with us. I mean, you in the notes, you, you say, you know, people should know that you should only put money or assets on an exchange that has a one to one reserve backing. I mean, what are you saying in terms of of the likelihood that FTX customers will get back their money then? Well, uh, it's a great question. I I, uh, I don't have any inside information on this, but uh, I'm you know reading the same tweets as everybody else and watching the same news clips as everybody else. Um, but it but it does seem pretty apparent that um, uh, you know based on what what FTX and, and the leadership has communicated so far that and, and frankly the withdrawals being paused that you know it's it's going to be pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the next shoes to drop, so to speak, Dave? I mean, when it was three hours capital, when it was Celsius, we're all wondering, you know, what was going to be next? Who is going to be on the other side? Who has the risk? How do you think about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's it's a great question. I mean, there you have FTX and then you also have Alameda. Right. And and where was their exposure to either of those entities? And so, um, you know, did Alameda have borrow, you know, clearly borrowed from FTX customer funds? Uh, but they also uh, typically often borrowed funds from others, you know, other funds, uh, high net worth investors and so forth and kind of bilateral deals. And so, again, I don't have any inside information on exactly what any of those structures look like. But to the extent that there were other ones out there, then yes. I mean, I think Galaxy announced, right, that they, they did have some some direct exposure to uh, to Alameda. And uh, and so they, they've already communicated that externally. Hi, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for coming on. So we look at some of who might be the collateral damage that you can easily come to, but who else might be out there? Um, where should we sort of think about what are some of the ripple effects that aren't, they don't come to mind right away? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I, I do think it, it you know, largely, you know, points to the centralized entities in the, in the space, right? You know, and so those are, you know, exchanges, uh, custodians of funds in one way or another, um, other you know investment funds, trading funds. These are these are the the places where they're exposure. I mean, if if you're kind of holding your own Bitcoin and holding your own keys, uh, you don't really have any any exposure to a loss of this nature, right? Um, so I think we look to those other entities. It's possible there's other exchanges out there that um, are going to be yet another shoe to drop. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. Um, when you think out to, you know, to, I don't know, five years down the line, which seems like a, a million years in, in crypto land, Dave, um, but but does it sort of look a little bit more like the equities, the exchange structure for equities where there are a couple of players that are highly regulated, you think, as a result of what has gone on? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I, you know, Kraken in our, our you know, we run a, a, a centralized exchange. And so we're, we're in this space. And, um, you know, we've engaged with regulators globally. Right now we have uh, double digits plus in a number of registrations and licenses across the globe, uh, North America, Europe and beyond as well. And so, uh, you know, what we've seen over the past number of years is that, you know, regulators continue to engage uh, more in the space. Um, either create new de novo license or, or kind of augment existing license structures. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we'll, you know more regulation um, will kind of continue to come to the crypto space, particularly for these centralized entities uh, such, as, such as our business.
All right, uh, Dave, great to speak with you. Thanks for your perspective. Dave Ripley, the incoming CEO of Kraken. We certainly saw a lot of the knock-on effects. Um, you mentioned Coinbase, Hood, which FTX has a stake in, also um, great, severely under pressure. Silvergate Capital, which was um, you know, known as the digital currency bank. They had to put out a statement today saying that they are fine. <laughs> Which is never a good sign. <laughs> right. Yes. right. Yes. They were like, you're we're bank, okay right. and our loans are performing just fine. That's a hardly ever a good thing. And how, how about the companies that were, you know, we were having these conversations about how much treasury um, should be, you know, placed instead of in dollars, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Bitcoin. And then you have yeah. the extreme examples of micro strategies where, you know, you really have uh, someone that put all the chips on the line there. And so I, I think this is where we're going to continue to see where that exposure really is. We're not going to know uh, for you know, days, weeks, if not months. But I think at some point we are going to hear from a lot of these companies. Think of all those equities we've talked about that were directly derivative or at least implied right. crypto trades. And in fact, those are the ones that we've shown on the screens, but it's it's going to be ugly. Just one thing about Hood. We haven't seen the FTX's stock trade, have we? 56, what do they own? 56 million shares of, Ru- of Hood. Yeah. Of Hood. Mm-hmm. You would think they've got to liquidate whatever they can. Right. Right? I mean, sure. they've got to come up with whatever cash they can. I think, are they a D holder? You you would think that we would have to see something soon. Right. Which is, I mean, that's partially maybe what's weighing on Hood as well, but we haven't seen that, that stock yet. Sure. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action in Rivian. Shares jumping after reporting results. We're bringing the details next. Plus, job cuts hit Meta, the company laying off more than 11,000 employees. What the move means for the future of the social stock. The details when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Rivian. Shares of the EV company jumping, even though Q3 results fell short of top and bottom line estimates. Phil LeBeau has been on the earnings call. He joins us with the latest. Phil. And Melissa, Adam Jonas just asked a question that I think a lot of people are going to ask. Boy, a nice improvement in gross profit 
from Q2 to Q3, what did they do? A number of things that are answering the question now, including the fact that they've become much more efficient in terms of how they're using their capital and the production system, becoming more mature. So as you take a look at shares of Rivian, and yes, they were up as much as 8% initially after the numbers came out. We'll explain why in just a little bit. Remember that they did post a smaller than expected loss of a buck fifty-seven. The revenue, light of expectations, but not by a lot. 536 million. I think the street was expecting 551. The outlook is what's driving the stock higher. You've got three things happening here. First of all, they reaffirmed their guidance to build at least 25,000 vehicles this year. The production is gradually ramping, though they have seen some supply chain issues that caused them to bring down production five days during the quarter. So that is still an issue that is out there, not just for Rivian, but all automakers. The reservation total, it jumped from 98,000 in early September to 114,000. By the way, they just announced that they are no longer going to be giving that reservation total in the future. They believe it's ample enough that they don't need to continue updating that. So as you take a look at shares of Rivian over the last three months, like so many of the EV stocks, it's been under pressure. But keep in mind that their full year guidance was reaffirmed, both in terms of how much they expect to lose, about $5.7 billion, and the free cash flow being negative uh, $1.66 billion. In the third quarter, they finished with $13.8 billion in cash. Melissa, I'm going to jump back onto the call right now, but there's no doubt. Investors look at this, whether you want to call it a relief rally or a sigh that things are moving in the right direction for Rivian, that's the reason the stock is moving higher, primarily on the guidance for where the company is and where it expects to go in the fourth quarter. All right, Phil, thanks. Keep us posted. Phil LeBeau, uh, Steve Grasso, what do you make of Rivian? Yeah, this is sort of like what the Democrats did last night. They had a less bad event, and, and this is the less bad event for Rivian. So the stock actually pops off of that. But as Phil highlighted at the end, they still have a ton of cash. They still have their Amazon deal. Amazon has about 1,000 vans that will be here in time for the holidays. They still have their JV partnership with Mercedes. So there's a lot of good things. They just need to figure out the growing pains. So this is not a success story. The stock has gotten pummeled. They have to prove that they're capable of sitting at the big boy table, and they haven't done that as of yet. I'm still long the name, and I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I mean, as short, a short time ago as October, there's real um, just skepticism surrounding the production targets and the ability to make their year-end targets. So um, relief is, is a nice way of putting it. I mean, it's, it's just, wow, thank goodness, Julie. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you look at this stock, it's down, what, 73% for the year? And even so, you know, if you look at it just price per car, those 25,000 cars, if you look at that relative to the market cap, that's still $1.4 million per car, even overpriced Tesla's 500000 And I know that's like a completely rudimentary metric to look at it, but it does tell you, first of all, just how expensive Rivian once was. And even at these levels, I agree with Steve, like the level of execution that has to happen is still pretty high. Um, the complexity of building a car, as we all understand, supply chain, is it's really difficult. And distribution in this, to me, is still the biggest question. Having competing against something like a Ford where the distribution is really clear, it's difficult. Like Tesla learned that the hard way. It took them a long time to ramp. Uh, the Tesla 
dynamic is something that's pretty interesting because Julie's mentioned, you know, whatever Tesla did or did not do, we just said 13.8 billion. Hey, they still got a lot of cash. They're going to burn five and a half billion dollars in cash. And we, you know, part of today's conversation is also what happens in markets when money is no longer free and what happens to companies that are exposed. I'm not like Rivian's got great partners. They've got a great product. And, and I think they're going to get there. That reaffirmation of 25 grand the next, they're supposed to get up to 67 grand. But this is this is their issue. They need to ramp up as quickly as possible. We don't care about revenue right now. We care about how quickly they can get cars, because that is where at some point they need to begin to break even. And you do that math. And right now, 13.8 billion seems like a lot of money, um, but it's not a lot of money in this environment at the rate they're burning it. Do we think about, though, the need to access capital and, and how much more difficult it is for most companies these days differently because they have great partners? Maybe they can go to the partners for that capital instead. Yeah, they the are strategic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about Amazon, right? As that's about as deep pocket as you can get. Ford as well. It also at some point makes you think, all right, if Rivian doesn't do that well and trades down, is that the time for Amazon to buy them, or or Ford? I don't know. All right. But yes, it's important to have good, good deep pocket. I'm not sure where Ford gets that money. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, we've got a news alert out of Washington here. The president making some comments about Elon Musk. Kayla Tash has got the details. Kayla. Melissa, President Biden holding a press conference today speaking with vindication about the midterm election results that are in so far. He talked about his forthcoming meeting with China's President Xi uh, at the G20. He also talked about the continuation of aid to Ukraine. But it was his comments about the international dealings of Elon Musk in his acquisition of Twitter that made these newsworthy remarks. think that Elon Musk's cooperation and or technical relationships with other countries uh, is worthy of being looked at. Specifically about the large shareholding from the Saudi government and whether there should be a security review of the acquisition or of Musk himself. And he spoke, as you heard, rather obliquely about that possibility, but suggesting there should be one. It's notable, Melissa, because when the White House has addressed these issues before, they have said any reports of a possible national security review of this deal are untrue. There is not one happening. And when there was a follow-up question about exactly what venue such a review would take place in, He didn't elaborate much more, but certainly it is a departure from what the White House has said thus far. Melissa. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. My, this certainly complicates things just a little bit. Um, You know, Elon Musk, Tesla shares today hit a new 52-week low. These are lows that we have not seen for a couple of years at this point, um, as there is this notion that Elon Musk will continue to sell the stock as a Twitter ATM, so to speak, in order to to plug Despite vowing yeah. over and over again that he's not selling stock again, well, that's which is what he continues to do. Um, but here we are with the notion of, of a possible review, Karen. Well, the irony of a CFIUS review or something that would say, nope, you can't own it. That, <laughs> that I find, I don't know, I, I, mean, I find that amusing in some way, the irony of, right. you know, uh, and then what would have to do? He'd have to sell it. And to whom? To whom and for how much? Because there wasn't I mean, anybody else in line. And what happens right. to, to Tesla's I, stock price during that time? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that that will happen. I mean, maybe he could step away and not be have somebody else, have a CEO run it. Right. 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 That's a that's a fix. Maybe. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Job cuts hit Meta. The company laying off thousands as big tech's worries continue. 
How the move could impact the stock and the metaverse, next. Plus, a red day on Wall Street. Has a hangover from the midterms and crypto carnage way down markets. Will tomorrow's CPI report be a third strike for nervous bulls? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I want to say, you know, up front uh, that I take full responsibility for this decision. Um, you know, I'm the founder and CEO. I'm uh, responsible for for the health of our our company, um, for our direction, um, and for for deciding you know, how we execute that, including things like this. And this was ultimately my call, um, and it was it was you know one of the hardest calls that I've I've had to make in 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 the eighteen years of running the company. That was Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg speaking today in a video provided to NBC News by an employee impacted by today's layoffs. The company is cutting 11,000 employees from its payroll. That's about 13 percent of its workforce as it tries to cut costs in its transition to the metaverse. Meta stock jumping on this news of the layoffs, but still down nearly 70 percent this year. So we ask again, does the story get better or does it look worse? Julie, what do you think? You know, I mean, it's interesting, right, that we announce this on the day after the midterms when it sort of gets lost in the news cycle. But it's also interesting because it happens right after Elon fires half his workforce. So they don't really look that bad getting rid of, you know, 3,700 people. What I will say about this business is that if you look generally at business trends, most companies are kind of back to their where they were pre-pandemic. And if you think about Facebook, they hired over 40,000 40, people during the pandemic. So this 37,000, this 3,700 probably is more like 37,000. I think there's more to come, honestly, for this business. What investors are hoping for is that it's in VR, not necessarily the ad business. Right. They want to hear about it in Reality Labs, Karen, which is yeah. the metaverse there's, business. Well, there's two parts to cutting spending, right? There's right. the cutting spending of their business. They're all, they all have been really fat for a long time because they just grow, grow, grow. So all of them, whether it's, you know, Microsoft or whoever, they're, uh, Google, they're all thinking more about their costs. That's one part. But to Julie's point exactly, is, it, is that where all the jobs are, 11,000? Or is it, you know what, we're, we are really scaling back this meta push I think that would be received better. 11,000 of, of those would. jobs would be received <laughs> much better because they're of uncertain uh, profitability, maybe ever, right? Yeah. But anything's a start. Well, we're talking about 23 capex of, of 35 to 38 billion dollars, and and so you start cutting some of that back because capex is different than opex, and, and that is a place where I think the stock would rocket. And and here you have a CEO that's already gone out there and done a bit of a mea culpa. Why can't he go out there and do a mea culpa and say, you know what, this metaverse thing is something we're really excited about, but we don't need right. to to run this fast into it. I think the stock would 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 rocket, whatever that number would be. And and it's just you know to me that's that's the story in Meta, and and it's interesting the. the 
the, the price action also, because this is not a company, if you look at the short interest in Meta, it's less than 1%. It's not like this is a stock that's right. had a ton of people balance, targeting. She, I mean, yeah. it, and there is the black swan of TikTok. I mean, keep bringing you, that up, Karen. It still has It gets happened. a little bit bigger. Yeah, you and think I, so? I do. I do think so. Um, actually, I think also. So Mark Zuckerberg can spend every dollar he wants to spend on the metaverse or has planned to spend on the metaverse, and that's okay if TikTok goes away. Do his problems get solved? Does the stock's <laughs> problem get solved if TikTok goes away? Or is it Partially. still a fundamental, he's spending so much on the metaverse, that's, that's the end goal for him, and that's the right strategy? Because if it is not the right strategy today, TikTok going away doesn't make that the right strategy tomorrow, does it? No, that uh-huh. sort of stands alone. Right. But if what, you know, the core of the business that makes so much money, Instagram, right? It's the biggest competitor. If the biggest well, competitor like goes a, it's away. It's a lifeline. It's a lifeline, Well, it's though. more than a lifeline. I mean, they're, they're not drowning. But how much? Right? Is, they're, they're not drowning. They're making a fortune. But it's clouded. By the by, the other push. So, I mean, if, if TikTok went away, that would be. How much crazy. of this is cyclical, though? For, for I mean, how much yes, of this yes, is just yes. is just the, the economy we're in? Right. And been, TikTok right. announced today a 20% hit to their ad sales. So it's happening to everybody. And, and I just we, we lose sight of that. I, and again, I say the the media companies were the first ones hit on any whiff of recession, and that was nine months ago. Facebook's got a ton of other problems, but I think some of this is stuff that's that's not really um, existential. Yeah, I mean, saying that we're pursuing the metaverse as our number one goal, you know, two years ago was great. Today, it's terrible. Well, money was free then. Right, exactly. It's a completely different environment. Coming up, stock sinking as midterm results filter in. Could tomorrow's CPI data be another blow to investor confidence? We'll break down what to expect ahead. Plus, crypto's crushing week is dragging down more than just Bitcoin. The impact is having uh, on Robinhood and how options traders are playing that when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors laser focus on tomorrow's CPI report for October. Economists expect prices rose six-tenths of a percent from the previous month, an increase from September's rate as oil and gas prices ticked higher. Markets heading into the report on a down note with major indices posting their first loss in four sessions, the Nasdaq shedding nearly two and a half percent. And take a look at Disney dropping more than 13 percent. That's its biggest decline since 2001. It lost $34 billion in market cap in just one day after yesterday's earnings report. Our next guest expects the U.S. economy to avoid serious recession despite historically high inflation. Katrina Dudley is a portfolio manager and investment strategist at Franklin Mutual Advisors. She's got an $8 billion um, under management. Katrina, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Um, So what stuck out at me in your notes, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, the macro and all that, is that you like housing. (laughs) And this is a totally out of consensus kind of trade. And I'm wondering if this sort of is just... Uh, an outlier trade, just a sort of like a, you know, independent trade, or if this is tied to what your macro view is? Look, I think if you take a look at the macro environment, it's so easy to be negative on the housing stocks in particular. And we are talking about the housing stocks. Um, In this sense, we've got a market that's completely undersupplied. We haven't been building as many homes as we need. Yes, we know what's happening with mortgage rates. Mortgages are making homes less affordable, but the cure to affordability is really simple. People will buy smaller homes with smaller footprints. We've seen that happen time and time again. So if mortgage rates, do you think that mortgage rates will go higher? I mean, I'm wondering what's embedded in, in, in this bull thesis of yours. Can mortgage rates go higher or do you think that we're sort of capped here in terms of the 10-year yield? 
I think that they will go slightly higher. Um, if we have a look at what we're expecting from the Fed going into the end of the year and early next year, we still think that there are some rate rises coming. I think the pace of those will slow. But if we do continue to have those rate rises, we will see mortgage rates go higher, but they won't go higher at the same clip or the same pace that we've seen them go high over the last year and a half. So I think that you know we're lessening the pace and lessening the burden of those higher mortgage rates. Hey, Katrina, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Something else that jumped out from your notes was your commentary on European investing, especially because of the currency tailwind. And I often, as someone that's been in emerging markets, I say FX sometimes is half your return profile. Can you talk about that and, and also the underlying markets, though? Because we, we kind of get some of the current account surplus dynamics for the euro, but um, the underlying stocks still have a lot of headwinds. Look, if I take a look what's happened in Europe, most people are very surprised that in local market terms or local currency terms, the market's actually done better than the United States. And Europe is really facing a number of headlands and they're very clear. It's the Ukraine-Russian war. It is the energy crisis. And also, you know, they're facing the same monetary headwinds that we're facing here. Um, but we think that the market will be able to take advantage of that. We think that they're already priced in. So we actually think it's a really good setup here for Europe equities going into year end and setting up into next year. All right, uh, Katrina, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Katrina Dudley of Franklin Mutual Advisors. Um, Julie, where do you stand on any, any of the trades that Katrina has? And what, do you, what are you thinking? How are you thinking about CPI tomorrow? Yeah, I, I think pr protecting yourself for, for CPI and, and, you know, being in a position where you own durable businesses with pricing is, is pretty important. I think actually her point on housing is really interesting. If you look at where a lot of the home builders are, many of them have really learned their lesson from the last housing downturn. They, you know, they have a different approach to how they're putting their land banks together. And I think they are smart enough to be able to Put together houses that are more affordable. I think they're all looking at their, you know, punch lists and sheets and saying, okay, we're not going to do surround sound in the houses anymore. And you know, at the end of the day, there's still such a, an intense need for more housing. We have such an intense shortage um, that I, I think they probably won't be as bad as they have been in the past. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're investable for the long term. But I, I, I do agree. I, I think that you know, they could be overdone here. Mm -hmm. Grasso. Yeah, so DR Horton is known to be a spec builder, and it has the best chart in the entire home building complex. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't run out to buy the home builders because of all the obvious headwinds. But DR Horton, if we're concerned about supply, they're the ones that have the supply on the market. Coming up, some low energy in today's session. The group leading the losses of crude head south will dig into how you should be playing the space ahead. But first, the crypto meltdown hitting more than just tokens, how Robinhood is dealing with the fallout, and how to trade it with options when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another look at Bitcoin hitting its lowest levels in two years amid the fallout around FTX. Robinhood getting swept up in the volatility, dropping nearly 14 percent today. One options trader is betting it could drop another 50 percent from here. Dennis David joins us now to break down the action. Dennis, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, trading is fun again when we start seeing um, options markets moving around like we have now. I've been in these markets for 30 years. Uh, one of the things you're seeing right now is trades that are more like what we saw in the financial crisis, not like the dot-com crisis. What you mentioned is a down 50% put on Robinhood. So somebody bought the $4 put, Robinhood's an $8 stock. 
they paid 14 cents for that. So roughly two and a half percent of the value of the option. Um, we're seeing a lot of these trades across Silvergate, MicroStrategies, and Coinbase. So a lot of people out there very worried with the down 94% in some of these light coins and stuff that you're seeing, pretty wise protection and easily to access in the options market. Wow. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned all those names. MicroStrategy, for one, Brent Thillover at Jeffries had a note just out this afternoon raising um, a near-term liquidity risk. He said uh, there's a solvency risk. It's never good when you put solvency in your note on a company, it being a real risk here, Tim? Well, it, it, in fact, people are trying to put a base number on Bitcoin. And you know, this is how I think analysts are doing on micro strategies. And I've mm -hmm. seen also someone with a $950 target out there because they're saying, we'll put a base, a conservative of 13,500. And this is where we can, you know, we can manage what their treasury is in underlying Bitcoin. But uh, I think there's a lot more of this to come. Yeah, Dennis, thanks. Dennis Davitt, for more Options Action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we are moving into the energy space with top analyst Paul Sankey, who's got a brand new Paris trade that's got him going overseas for opportunity. we got the names. When Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big oil seeing a major sell-off today. ConocoPhillips falling almost 7%. Exxon, Chevron, Marathon Petroleum also feeling the pain. The pullback coming as crude slumped almost 4%. It is now back below $90 a barrel, but it may be a key buying opportunity. Energy analyst Paul Sankey has some ways to trade the space. He's with Sankey Research. He's the top analyst, in fact. I would think that you would be the top analyst at Sankey Research. <laughs> um, you, say, you say that uh, we have a supply problem here. The companies are not raising production forecasts. So what's that's what right. does this mean? Well, that obviously, it starts, for... it starts with Russia, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you've obviously got a problem there. If you look at Saudi Arabia, how much they're spending, they're going to get a, an extra million barrels a day of capacity over the next five years. And then we saw, I was just at the Philips 66 analyst meeting this morning, and they say they think uh, global oil demand is going to grow 7 million barrels a day over the next 10 years. So you just obviously got a problem. I mean, it just doesn't add up. At the same time, today's DOE, as you said, had uh, inventory builds. But if you look at the demand side, Demand's still very strong. We're still over 20 million barrels a day. And of course, all this is real economy. This has got nothing to do with, uh, you know, some of the more esoteric things that you're talking about. This is real people using real oil, and it's, it's you know, a big deal. The final point I'd make is this week, it was reported that the world went past 8 billion in population. So this is real stuff, you know, and, and supplying that much oil to that many people is a real challenge. And it's, you know, there's nowhere that's growing rapidly apart from Guyana. And, and if you think about it, the, the base of consumption demand just keeps building, whereas we get cyclicality in some of the demand side of it. My question, I guess, for investors who have seen different parts of the oil trade at different times underperform. Karen and I, we talked about the oil services. Seems as if drillers are really well positioned now. We're starting to see that international drilling begin. Uh, the early folks to the party were really E&P and upstream and folks that improved their balance sheet. Where, where do you want to be right now? Well, I was at the Schlumberger Analyst meeting, SLB, actually. They changed yep. their name. Uh, last week, and it was like a rock concert. It was packed as well, interestingly enough. Uh, today, Phillips wasn't so crowded, but they're just talking about a load of free cash flow. So I think in terms of where the market wants to be, we've obviously seen today a big liquidity sell-off, and I think that's just the winners of the year getting pulled back. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with the oil trade here. Uh, but as we were saying earlier, some of them are maybe a little bit stretched. For the drillers, and particularly for, for the offshore drillers, um, you know, I think that their time will come and people will buy them on the anticipation of this oil problem, almost regardless of multiple. So you see that, for example, SLB trades at 
10 times EV to EBITDA, where you've got a Shell or an ENI that I'll talk about, which are trading at more like three times. Mm. Does that mean they won't go up? I, 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 don't, I think they will. You know, I think they'll continue to run as this oil run goes on. We're looking for $120 oil by driving season next year. So we're seeing a good run here in oil as we go through winter and into driving season. All right, so um, I'm going to ask you for your latest pair straight. This has become sort of a, a fun little thing that we do with you all the time because at one point you made an, uh, I mean, you said astute. An astute yeah. one. An astute call. It was, it was short Apple, long ExxonMobil. That was wild. the first. That was the first one. And <laughs> since then, we've asked you every single time because you said a short Apple at a time when nobody thought Apple should be a It wasn't short. that. It was nobody thought Exxon should be a long, right? Well, that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Trade. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your latest? Uh, we're looking, as you know, we were saying earlier, maybe some of these oils are getting a little bit stretched, the, mm-hmm. you know, the run that we've had, and maybe after, after today they're attractive again. It's, it's that tight, but if you look at the comparison to European oils, uh, we've got some, you know, half the valuations or less, as I mentioned, uh, something like ENI, two or three times cash flow, Equinor, two or three times cash flow. These are very, very cheap stocks, and everything looks good for oil and gas. And they've solved a lot of the problems, for example, in the case of ENI regarding Russian gas and alternative supplies, heading, hedging problems. And one of the things we're highlighting is they have a new um, investor relations who's going to be selling the stock into the U.S. So ENI is the long. As you know, the whole theme that I've been talking about for the last three years has basically been long oil, short Nasdaq. So you can almost kind of choose anything. One of the ones that we shorted at one point was Rivian that we were talking about earlier. Today, I just because ENI's ticker is E. I just said, well, you can short F, which would be Ford. Both are very, very cheap. But I think the EV and the electric vehicle theme is going to fail quite badly against expectations. I don't think it will fail, but I I do think it's going to be a very difficult road for these electric vehicles to be built at a mass scale and sold at a mass scale over the next five to 10 years compared to where the stocks are pricing. All right. Paul. Go be a top analyst and thank you for <laughs> Thank you for joining us. CEO, janitor. <laughs> Paul Sankey. Um, Grasso, what do you make of this trade? Yeah, I mean, Paul always has a, a pretty good Paris trade going on there. So he's been, he's been good on that aspect of it. And, and even he just said that some of these individual names seem a little overextended. ExxonMobil, Chevron seem overextended to me. Oil, uh, WTI crude topped out exactly at the October high, almost down to the penny. I think that the whole space is going to roll over. ExxonMobil looks like it had a blow-off top. What follows blow-off tops? Craters in price. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time. Julie. Uh, Silk Road Medical, it's an innovative company that helps with uh, clotted artery disease. I think it's well positioned to continue to grow. It's reported a great quarter. Steve. Meta looks like it bottomed to me. I think it trades up 15% quickly. Karen. Yes, talking about home builders and have they bottomed. And uh, so in that same vein, Zillow, they had decent earnings this week and low expectations for next quarter. Tim Seymour. I'm going to weave those two segments. One that talked about tailwind of European currency, and also Paul Sankey, TTE, Total Energy, France. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 